Good morning. If you're between the ages of four and first grade, you're dismissed to Kids Club. For those of you parents that may need it, the nursery is available as well. For any of you that don't know me, I'm Vince Dix. I'm one of your uh, trustees here at Calvary. Ben and his family are off on a well-deserved vacation visiting some national parks in Utah, I believe. I think the intent is to hit seven parks this trip, so uh, they're busy and they're making some memories for their family. So I'll be with you in the pulpit this week, and then I'll be with you again next week. Pastor Ben has just finished a series that uh, explored evangelism. And when he returns, we're going to begin in a series that is in the book of Exodus. It's been a long time since I've had a study on the book of Exodus. I'm looking forward to it, and I hope that you are too. And uh, I'm not sure how many weeks that uh, Ben plans to make that stretch out, but it would be well worth it. During our family night that we had in May, several of you shared your testimonies and kind of explained to what you got out of the series that we just completed on evangelism. Someone shared about a Bible study that they had at work and how they viewed that and how that tied into evangelism. Someone shared about visiting with a friend that they had communicated with. They hadn't communicated with them in a long time, but this person had reached out to them and they were having some struggles in their life and that he was able to share with this individual. Another person shared that they felt the need to start a Bible study in their neighborhood. And many of you shared relationships in your lives where you talked to people and where you saw that that tied in to evangelism. You know, unfortunately for me, evangelism for me was skewed for many years. We used to have these evangelists that came to our little small Baptist church and we'd set up this kind of mini circus tent and dad would make us load up a couple of loads of hay bales or straw bales, using straw bales because they're more comfortable to sit on and haul them into the tent and we set them up for seating and we'd take a couple of hay racks and tie them together and nail some plywood on them and that became the stage and suddenly we had a setup to do tent meetings. And those tent meetings would often last for a week sometimes two weeks. The evangelists, the evangelists that would come, they would preach at 10 years old. I felt like it was just being yelled at for 45 minutes. And he would pound on the pulpit. He would shake his Bible at you. God suddenly became a three-syllable word. Don't know how that happened. A lot of these southern uh, evangelists. The altar calls seemed to last forever. We sang just as I am at least four, five times because the evangelists would say, I just know there's someone out there that wants to step out and come forward tonight. And you know what? I thought that was evangelism for many years. Once I was in the military and Patty and I were married, we had evangelism conferences that we went to. And they seemed to be held on a Friday night. Normally they poured into Saturday. And you had several different speakers that came in and they were all fired up about evangelism. And they would conclude usually with a lunch or something on Saturday. And then what did you do with evangelism? You went out into the community and you knocked on doors. Patty and I both thought that was just kind of strange. I don't know. We just didn't seem like we accomplished a whole lot through that series of evangelism. But there again, 
for many years, I thought that's what evangelism actually was. Ben just walked us through this series as we explored evangelism and how we can use it in our lives. Unfortunately, due to our work, my work schedule and some family commitments, I missed a couple of sermons, but my wife is a great note taker. She's back there. She's got a little guy that's got her attention today, but uh, most of the time, she's a really good note taker during sermons. So I could go back and look at her notes and kind of catch up a little bit and get the uh, kind of get what Ben was talking about in those two sermons. But in the series, we found that evangelism really does tie very much to our testimony. The definition of testimony is a witness, a statement made to establish a fact. If I pick one of you out of the crowd this morning and say, I want you to do your testimony in promptude, just off the cuff, I imagine of many of you, I'd probably absolutely terrify you by doing that, wouldn't I? If you would be willing to do it, a lot of you would probably say, well, I need a few minutes or maybe I need a few days to take some notes down and prepare to be able to give my testimony. But let's look at a testimony in the Bible this morning that should help us to make it easier to do in our daily walk. We're going to be over in John chapter 9, verses 1 through 34. I realize that's kind of a lengthy text, but I'll try to burn through it tells a story about a young man that had been blind since birth. As we explore it this morning, I want you to pluck out this young man's testimony as we read through the Scripture this morning. So, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. So if you have a Bible or electronic device, I ask that you pull that out. If you don't have a Bible, there are pew Bibles, and you're more than welcome to use that, and uh, hopefully I'm going to fight through my allergies this morning and keep talking. So let's go to verses 1 through 3. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not this man's sin or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now let's stop just there for a minute as we look at that scripture. And uh, as we see in verse 3, some of you are old enough to remember Promise Keepers. It was a men's movement that occurred. And they had a wonderful choir that sang a song called Such a Time as This. Do you think he was blind from birth to be used of God in 33 AD for such a time as this? Well, we're going to see that in the verses that we're going to look at. We often forget that we are planned by God. In several passages, God told people that He knew them in the womb. In Psalms 139, verse 14, it says, I praise You, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you, and before you were born, I consecrated you. You don't know what consecrated means? It means that it's set apart by a deity. And it goes on to say, and I appointed you a prophet to the nations. That might be a very good verse for what's going on in our nation right now to put in your pocket. So we have been planned by God 
we have been conceived by God, born and grown to be sitting here today because He has a plan, He has a purpose for our lives. This blind young man, God had a plan for his life, and in the next few verses we're going to see how that plan unfolded and how he was used of God. So let's read on. We're going to go on in verse 4 through 7. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spit on the ground and he made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in a pool of salam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. Wow, that to me is an absolutely incredible testimony of what God just did in his life. God could have gave him sight from birth, but he chose not to. Like us, he had a plan, he had a purpose for him, and he used it. Now he healed this young man on the Sabbath days, which added to the Pharisees' already frustration with Jesus. If you go back and look in chapter 8 and do a little review, it's only a couple chapters, just a chapter back that the Pharisees were trying to stone Jesus for claiming to be a deity. But for this young man, he was healed on the Sabbath. But for him, despite cross-examination of his parents and himself, his story, his testimony never changed. I was blind, and now I see. Now I'm just going to paraphrase for you a little bit, verse 8 through 16, for the sake of time. And the amount of scripture I'd like to cover is talks a little bit about his neighbors who said that they knew him. They knew that he was a blind beggar. As a blind man, there wasn't much work that he could do. There was no Braille back in those days to allow him to read. There was no service dogs. There was no specially equipped electronic devices for him to use and to have a career. All he could do was beg at the city gate just to exist. All he could learn was what he could hear. So he knew very little bit about the scriptures. He affirmed to them that yes, he was the beggar who could now see. <clears throat> he told them how Jesus put mud on his eyes and when he washed in the pool he could now see. Because of Jesus' healing, this young man's testimony came under intense scrutiny and pressure and continually questioned. So he stepped out in verse 17, and what does he say to them? Jesus was a prophet, which I'm sure the Pharisees were already fired up. Now they're really fired up. He didn't know much theology, but he knew Jesus. He knew what Jesus said and done, and he knew it to be true. Well, not at all happy with his answers. We see in verse 18 through 23 where the Pharisees went after his parents. So let's read on. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received a sight until they called the parents and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that he is our son, 
and he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. So the answers to the questions that they were being asked could really affect their livelihood in a big way. So what did they do? They threw their son under the bus. Being thrown out of the synagogue meant separation from worship. It meant that they would be shunned, that they would be disowned by their own family and friends. And they could actually lose their jobs, whatever they were. If they were in business for themselves, other Jews would no longer do business with them. So they would be a total outcast. They had a lot on the line, depending on their answer to this question. So again, they say in verse 23, he's of age. Go ask him. So the Pharisees did go back to him in verse 24. It says, For the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that thou I was blind, and now I see. They said to him, What did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? And then notice in verse 27 and verse 28, he answered them, I have told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Oh man, talk about putting a stick in the eye of the Pharisees once again. He did, didn't he? But they quickly reminded him in verse 28 that they were disciples of Moses. This young man knew very little of religion, but he had the courage to stand firm on something that was undeniably true. That of Jesus Christ. If you review verses 30 through 33 with me, it says the man answered him, Why? This is an amazing thing. I'm sure he was absolutely puzzled. They were so wrapped around the axle about being healed on the Sabbath and who Jesus was. And hey, here's this amazing thing that's happened to me. You're not very thrilled about it, are you? And they were. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So what do we see here? Well, I think we should see that he just shared his personal testimony. Testimony that was simple. It was straightforward. It was bold. It was true. Few words are ever needed, really, to share the truth. We don't need a testimony that's 25 minutes long. But we just need to quickly share the truth with someone. The young man goes on to proclaim Jesus to them, but we know in verse 34, unfortunately, 
They reviled him and they cast him out of the synagogue. But as you scan on down that chapter, you see where he met up with Jesus later. And it says that he worshipped him. How often do we simply tell that we are once blind to the truth of Jesus Christ and now we see? How often do we do it? It's a very simple, it's a bold statement, but it's a testimony of what God has actually done for us. That is really what people want to know. Those people we talk to, they aren't really deep theological thinkers. They don't really have any of those PhD type Bible questions that they're going to ask you. Most of them don't really know the Bible at all. But they're searching. They're searching for something else. And they know that whatever it is you have, that you have something different. That you have something special. They just want to know what happened in your life. They want to know what changed in your life since you met Jesus. What has happened that made a difference in your life? So as I listen to many of your you on family meeting night and listen to your testimonies, it's evident to me that we all <clears throat> have a unique testimony. We all have a unique way to share evangelism. And what we do with that story is a responsibility that we should not take lightly. Evangelism is hard if we are living our testimony each and every day. You know, if we're truly followers of Jesus, our very life is our testimony. We often never know the influences that we might have on people that we come in contact with in our lives. There are lives out there that have been touched by you and you don't even know it. Because you are basically just simply living the Christ-centered life. But remember too that we need to guard our testimony. Will we ever stumble? Oh yes, we will stumble. And they're watching. Do we get back up and do we dust ourselves off and do we ask for forgiveness? Ask for a little grace and press on, or do we just stay down? A fellow command chief friend of mine, he lives in Montana. Steve and I talk back and forth a lot to each other. We both kind of have these retired careers that are the same thing. He works in a funeral home, I work in a funeral home. Talking a couple of weeks ago, and Steve said, you know what? A fast food restaurant can get your order wrong dozens of times and you'll just keep going back. Let a Christian, a church, or a funeral home mess up one time, and they're all done with you. That is so true. As we share our testimony, it's okay to let people know that we are human. We do make mistakes. We do fail. We have these things called forgiveness of sin, grace, mercy, from our God, and despite our failures, He loves us and He cares for us. If you ask a non-Christian at your work center who they thought were the Christians there, I bet that they probably can tell you. In most cases, they can tell you because they are seeing that testimony lived out in that person every day. 
They watch to see if our words match our actions. Do we walk the walk or do we just talk the talk? For a minute, as a Christian, I just want you to think of some Christians that have really influenced your life. Do you think of some that come to your mind? Our personal testimony is a powerful tool. But some say, you know what, my my personal testimony, it's not very dramatic. Not much to it. I haven't been healed from blindness or some serious illness. I'm not a recovered alcoholic or drug addict that God rescued out of the gutter. And guess what? Neither am I. I got saved in Bible school as a young boy. I grew up as the son of a deacon that had, he was only five foot six, but I'm telling you, the man had a nine foot arm. Could he could find me anywhere in that church and get a little flick on the head to get my attention. I'm the youngest of 15 children. So I can tell you what, my parents had PhDs in child-rearing by the time they got to me. I couldn't get away with anything. But those parents shared with me that when you are saved, you pass from death into life. And that was absolutely incredible. It's a testimony in itself, just by watching my parents but I watched a testimony lived out every day in a dad that had about a sixth grade education, maybe. He watched his mother and his father burn to death in a house fire when he was only four years old. He lived in 11 different houses from age four to 11 until his brother and him struck out on their own to go work in the coal mines. Of 15 children, he had already buried six of them by the time that I was born. He was crushed in a bridge back wall cave-in, and he was told by doctors that he'll never, ever walk again. And praise God, he did walk again. He left his family of seven children in World War II because he had too many kids to go fight in World War II. But he was selected to go up and help build the Alcon Highway up in Alaska. He struggled to read and write, but he stood firm on the truth. He would say to me, stick with what you know Christ did for us on the cross all your life. That stuff did stick with me. This is a man that could have very well been a very bitter man against God, but he was not. He loved God, and he made sure that his kids all knew it. His testimony was lived out in front of me each and every day, and it was so powerful. The young man in the scripture today, he didn't have a six-part dissertation to share with the Pharisees. He replied back to the Pharisees in just layman terms that he knew. He replied back with what he knew to be true. As a new Christian or an old crusty guy that's got a five-inch part in his hair that has been a Christian for nearly 60 years, share what you know and let God work. You need to be faithful to give out that word and your testimony and then let the Holy Spirit 
draw people to a life with Christ. If you faithfully shared when given the opportunity and that answer comes back, well, no thanks. Remember, it is the Spirit's work to convict them of sin and the need for a Savior, not you. I've unfortunately spent time with people that didn't want to leave a house until a decision was made by that person. Or basically what we would say, beat them over a head with a Bible. That's not our job. Let the Spirit work. Always remember that the Spirit, He's the changing agent. And remember to pray for them as the Spirit's working. Like the young man's parents, some will reject you because of fear of what others might think if they follow Jesus Christ. They may have unbelief. They may have a rebellious heart. They've been rebelling against God all their lives. So why would you think the change is going to come quickly or easily? Often we will not see results of our witness. We often use Luke chapter 8, verse 11. I didn't put it on the slide this morning, but... It talks about planting the seed. Often we are just planting the seed when we use our testimony in our daily walk of life. But don't pass up an opportunity to nourish that seed as well every chance you get. Pray always for that seed that it's planted and now that it will grow. And at some point in time, it'll be harvested. During our sharing time there at family night, many of the people you shared about aren't Christians. Have you ever thought that maybe the only Jesus that they might see in their lives is you? Because of that, like your testimony every day, as you strive to evangelize. Don't pass up them opportunities to share Jesus. And I will raise my hand, I'm guilty. There's times I look back and I should have been sharing with someone and I failed to do it. Don't pass up those opportunities. As a young man in the scripture today, he was what? He was planned. He was born. He was raised to be used by God. And he was used in a very mighty way. Don't forget, you're sitting here today. He gave you another day for some reason, some purpose, some plan. Keep your mind open and ready to do that, whatever it is. We don't see this young man again in the Scriptures, but I guess that he probably lived his testimony the rest of his life. And he probably was a very powerful man of God. So let God use you out there in your mission, out there in your mission field, to evangelize, and to share your testimony. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for your guidance in our lives as we navigate through our life and uh, that we would use our testimony and our evangelism efforts for you. Just as a young man in John chapter 9 today, you made him for a purpose, and we saw it fulfilled for your glory. We each one woke up today, which should tell us we still have purpose for our lives. Help us, 
Father, to live out our lives, to be a testimony for you, not only in church, but our families, our workplaces, and all the people that we come in contact with. May they see Jesus in us, in all that we do. You've taught us in your word to be Christ-like. May the world see Jesus in us every day. We pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen.